Good afternoon, everyone. It is just after 5.30 here in Northern California. It's a nice sunny day, September 24th, Thursday afternoon. And this is the 18th episode of our News Roundup podcast going from September 13th through the 19th last week. Before we get started, this podcast is sponsored by Mission Essential Gear, your one-stop combat shop. Home of the Thules, the tactical handbook for unit leaders. Available at megearco.com and Amazon as well. And let's hop into it. And of course, we'll get started with the COVID-19 numbers and news for the week. The week began with 28 million cases, 922,000 deaths, and 19 million recoveries. Week ended with 30 million cases, 956,000 deaths, and 21 million recoveries. And of course, those are global numbers. At this point, there are four countries in the world with over 1 million cases, first being the United States, second India, which just recently passed up Brazil, who is in third, and then Russia after Brazil. Uh, I believe Colombia and Peru could hit a million cases here pretty soon, um, but we'll keep an eye on that. There are also 30 countries in the world that have less than 1,000 cases. That number will probably begin to decrease here pretty soon, so we'll keep an eye on that as well. On the 14th, the United Arab Emirates approved a vaccine from Chinese company Sinopharm for use by frontline workers. This is following successful WHO-recognized Phase three clinical trials, which involved 31,000 volunteers. On the 16th, at a press briefing, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows says a vaccine could be ready quote, potentially by the end of September. The next day on the 17th, at a hearing with a Senate subcommittee, Dr. Robert Redfield, head of the CDC, said that a vaccine could be ready and initially distributed by November or December of this year. However, that vaccine won't be widely available to Americans until mid-2021. On the 18th, Israel entered a three-week nationwide lockdown after a recent surge in new cases. Israelis will have to stay within 500 meters of their homes, except for some exceptions. And also on the 18th, Guatemalan President Alejandro Guillemetti tested positive for the virus. He is experiencing symptoms, but does not require hospitalization at this time. And we will move on to space. On the 14th, an international scientific team led by Professor Jane Greaves announced that they have detected a gas called phosphine in the atmosphere of Venus, which they say may indicate life on the planet in the form of microorganisms. To be clear, this does not 100% conclude that life exists on Venus. However, phosphine is produced by bacteria that thrives in oxygen-starved environments. This does have the potential to be the first sign of life outside of Earth, but again, nothing concrete on that. Moving on to Africa and Cameroon. On the 13th, a Boko Haram suicide bomber killed five civilians at a village in far north. A second bomber failed, only injuring herself. Boko Haram is stepping up insurgent activity in the area and increasingly using women in these types of attacks. In Libya on the 13th, protesters burned down a building of the House of Representatives in Benghazi. The demonstrators, some of which were armed, were protesting poor living conditions and corruption within the HOR's uh, sphere of influence. 
Unrest also broke out in Al-Marj, a stronghold of Libyan National Army Commander Khalifa Haftar, which lies about 40 kilometers from Benghazi. The situation in Al-Marj led to clashes between demonstrators and security forces, with heavy gunfire being heard in videos and social media. The House of Representatives is the parent organization of the Libyan National Army, technically, and was officially established as a legislative body after the 2014 parliamentary election. It is the main opponent of the UN-recognized Government of National Accord in the Second Libyan Civil War. And the next day on the 14th, the House of Representatives resigned amid the protests, leaving Field Marshal Khalifa Haftar, commander of the Libyan National Army again, as the de facto leader of eastern Libya. A spokesperson for Haftar said that the administration supports peaceful protests, but would not, quote, allow terrorists and the Muslim Brotherhood to control them. Moving on to Rwanda. On the 14th, Rwandan humanitarian activist Paul Rusesa Begina whose heroics were portrayed in the movie Hotel Rwanda, is charged with 12 counts of crimes, including terrorism and forming or joining an armed group. Rusesa Begina was a hero during the Rwandan genocide when he saved the lives of hundreds of people that he kept safe in the hotel that he managed. He's also been a strong critic of current President Paul Kagame. It's unclear how exactly he got to Rwanda. His family claims that he was kidnapped from his home in Dubai, and others claim that he was tricked into boarding a plane that he thought was bound for another country. We'll keep an eye on the situation as it develops. In Mozambique on the 16th in Cabo Delgado, soldiers killed a woman that they accused of being a member of the Islamic State. The soldier beat her with a stick several times after being ordered to, quote, kill her on the side of the road. Authorities promise an investigation will be launched. Mozambique has been fighting Islamist insurgents in Cabo Delgado for three years now, and the fighting has been getting worse and worse in recent months. This includes ISIS-linked militants taking the port of Mocamboa del Praia. Probably butcher that, sorry. Last month from security forces, and they are still holding on to that port. Moving on to Niger, on the 17th, ISIS's West Africa province claimed responsibility for an attack in Kore, which killed six French aid workers and two Nigerian citizens. The attack took place on a giraffe reserve on August 9th. The aid workers were touring the reserve, which was thought to be safe by the Nigerian government. ISIS's West Africa province and Boko Haram have been stepping up their activity in Niger drastically, and international aid workers are continually targeted. Moving on to the Middle East, in Israel on the 14th, Israeli terrorist Amiram Ben Yulel is sentenced to life in prison by an Israeli court. Ben Yulel killed a Palestinian couple and their 18-month-old son in a racially motivated arson attack in the West Bank in 2015. He firebombed their family home after spraying, quote, revenge and, quote, Long live King Messiah on their walls. Another son of the family survived with severe burns. On the 15th, Israel and the United Arab Emirates signed a normalization deal, establishing diplomatic relations between the two nations and formally declaring peace for the first time in history. Direct flights to and from the nations will also be established as well, again for the first time in history. As a condition of the deal, Israel 
agreed to suspend its plans to annex parts of the West Bank, and another part of the deal included the UAE's purchase of the F-35 fighter jet. The jets procured by the UAE will likely be produced in Israel, and this makes the UAE the third Arab country ever to recognize Israel. Next day on the 15th, Israel and Bahrain signed a normalization deal, very similar to the one signed at the UAE. Again, establishing diplomatic relations and formally declaring peace between the two countries for the first time in history. This makes Bahrain the fourth Arab country to officially recognize Israel and the second to do so within recent weeks. This also paved way for direct flights between the two nations, again for the first time, and both of these deals are huge steps for peace in the Middle East. According to officials, another Arab country could soon be signing a similar agreement, maybe even within the next couple days, so we'll keep an eye on that. On the 16th, two civilians were injured in a rocket attack in the city of Ashdod. In retaliation, the Israeli Defense Forces struck Hamas targets in the Gaza Strip, and this round of violence again follows the signing of those two peace deals between the UAE and Bahrain, which Hamas is not too pleased with. Moving on to Iran, on the 19th, the U.S. reimposed sanctions on Iran via the United Nations Security Council after a report stated that the nation could soon have enough nuclear material to make a bomb. Nearly all of the U.N. sanctions that were previously lifted with the signing of the Iran nuclear deal have been reimposed. This includes sanctions on arms trading and testing and development of ballistic missiles. Moving on to Afghanistan. On the 16th, in the Takar province, an IED was placed on a motorbike and killed two civilians and injured another 12. According to prelim preliminary excuse me, investigations, the target of the attack was General Kair Mohammed Tamor, the former police chief of Takar province. Also on the 16th, a colonel of the National Directorate of Security, NDS, was killed in Kabul while driving home. Colonel Jan Mohammed Amin was gunned down along with his driver. No group has claimed responsibility, and this, of course, comes as peace talks begin between the Taliban and the Afghan government, so we'll see if that affects the situation. In Iraq on the 17th, an IED hit an English-language institute in the city center of Najaf. No one was injured in the attack, and an investigation has been launched. IED attacks on Western targets have been more and more common within the past few weeks. Those attacks are thought to have been perpetrated by Iranian-backed militias, trying to force the withdrawal of NATO troops. On the 18th, Kurdish fighters attacked a Turkish military base with rockets in northern Iraq, killed at least two Turkish soldiers. In June, Turkey launched an operation to clear out militants of the Kurdistan Workers' Party, PKK, in northern Iraq. According to the Turkish Interior Ministry, 71 militants have been killed since July 13th, and 31, quote, collaborators have been captured. The Iraqi government routinely protests this clear violation of its sovereignty, but hasn't really done anything to stop. On to Syria, on the 14th, a U.S. drone strike in Idlib killed Saif al-Tunzi, a high-ranking member in Haras al-Din. Haras al-Din is a Salafi jihadi group that formed in 2018 after a split from Hayat Tahrir al-Sham. It's since been brought under the al-Qaeda umbrella and has plenty of combat experience fighting in northwestern Syria. The strike was carried out with an R-9X Hellfire missile 
and this missile is a Hellfire missile that's had its explosive head replaced with blades to minimize collateral damage, and this is the 10th such strike. I want to thank Mena Missiles for the information on this strike and educating me on the missile. He could be found on Twitter at mmissiles2. Alright, and we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with Asia. Alright, and we're back with Asia. In Myanmar, a statement by eight of the 15 UN Security Council members called on Myanmar and the Arakan Army to cease hostilities in Rakhine State and Chin State due to the toll the fighting is taking on the civilian populace. The council also cited an increasing number of COVID cases in Rakhine as their reasoning for the statement. Human rights groups claim that Myanmar has been targeting civilians during their fight against the guerrilla Arakan army. A separatist group was formed in 2009 by ethnic Rakhine peoples to fight for the self-determination of the multi-ethnic Arakanese population. Notably absent from the joint statement were Russia and China. Moving on to India, the border guards of India and Bangladesh agreed to launch joint patrols along their shared border after a spike in deaths due to illegal crossings. The two sides will also manage obstacles on the border and share information on smugglers and other criminals. According to a Bangladeshi-based rights organization, the Indian Border Security Forces killed at least 25 Bangladeshi citizens within the first half of this year. Moving on to Korea, on the 19th, according to South Korean police, they arrested a North Korean defector that actually attempted to cross back into the north on an eastern border town. The man defected to the south two years ago and had been living in Seoul since. He was found with four cell phones on his person, and according to the South Korean government, 11 defectors have crossed back into the north within the past five years. An investigation has been launched into the incident. Moving on to Taiwan, on the 18th, the nation's Ministry of Defense reported that 12 J-16 fighters, two J-10 fighters, two J-11 fighters, two H-6 bombers, and one Y-8 aircraft of the Chinese People's Liberation Army Air Force crossed into Taiwan's air defense identification zone. Air defense systems and jets were scrambled because of the incident, and Taiwanese President Li Tonghui, I'm sure I butchered that, called the incident a threat of force. And moving on to Belarus real quick, unrest continues this week as protesters continue to call for the resignation of President Alexander Lukashenko. On the 13th, again, 100,000 people took to the capital Minsk, and security forces closed off the Independence in October squares and arrested at least 250 people that day. And the protests are still ongoing. And we'll finish it off here with the Americas. In Venezuela, on the 16th, a UN Human Rights Council mission formally accused the Venezuelan government of crimes against humanity. This includes cases of killing, torture, and disappearances since 2014. 
President Nicolas Maduro and other senior officials are included in those charges. The country's ambassador to the UN, Jorge Valero, called the mission a, quote, hostile initiative and accused the UN action as being part of a U.S.-led campaign. UN investigators may be building a case for prosecution of the crimes in an international tribunal. We'll keep an eye on the situation. And in the United States, on the 19th, a screening facility for White House mail intercepted a letter addressed to the president containing the deadly poison ricin. The FBI and Secret Service launched an investigation into the letter and whether others like it were sent. And jumping ahead a little bit here, on the 20th, a joint raid by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and the FBI in Quebec led to the arrest of a suspect that is accused of sending those letters to the White House. Pascal Ferrier was taken into custody by Customs and Border Patrol agents and is also accused of sending letters similar to the ones sent to the White House to law enforcement officials in Texas. And with that being said, that's uh, all I got for you guys this week. Really appreciate you guys listening. Appreciate all the support. Um, like, share, subscribe, rate, whatever you could do on the uh, platform that you're listening to this on. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, not not a whole lot going on this week, so we'll see uh, how next week's is going to be. That one will probably be late by a day or two. I'm hoping I can get to a point here soon where I get back on the normal schedule with this being released on uh, Sunday or Monday at the latest, but I can't make any promises on that right now, so we'll see. Just letting you guys know the next one is going to be late as well. But uh, yeah, again, appreciate all the support. We'll see you next week.